As a way of uh, beginning our time together, I want to speak of a few uh, topics uh, tonight. I want to speak about uh, personal aspiration. I want to speak about the uh, format of the retreat, just the, the kind of the schedule and the, the kind of the rules of the road that we'll share while we're being here. And then I'd like to speak about practice. Practice being uh, a training of the mind. And then uh, share a little bit of knowledge that I think will be helpful in uh, your, your practice here. I think it's important for each one of us to ask ourselves the question, why am I here? Or let me ask you, why are you here? Why did you come to this retreat? What motivated you? What is the impetus for you to come to this retreat? Whether you're a new student or whether you've been doing retreats for 10, 15 years or more, 20. Why here? Why now? And to just let that question roll around in the mind or settle into the mind. And it's not so important that you answer it to yourself or to us, but it is important that you ask it because there are multiple layers of answer in the mind. There's a lot of reasons, a lot of conditions that allow it or support it or encourage it. But underneath all of that, what is really important to you anyway? To take seven days and to come here and to put yourself in this situation, which is not all that entertaining. And to leave behind all that your friends and your familiar activities and maybe distractions and, and to come here to be quite alone actually among a group of uh, like-minded people. Some of you may be, have a very modest uh, aspiration. You just want to relax or calm down a little bit or just get away from it all for a little while. And believe me, there's nothing wrong with that. Just getting away for a week is really beneficial. Even if you did nothing else but just leave your familiar to-do list and distractions, that'd be beneficial. Some of you may you know, really know this is a practice that helps you to manage stress in your life or to help you 
kind of uh, uncover un unresolved or, or, or stuff that's unsettled in your life. And this too is another layer of the mind that gets addressed by just the paying attention that we do here. One man I know came to retreat because, well, he was given it as a gift certificate by some of his co-workers as a joke. He worked, at, he worked in the sanitation department in New York City. And it was a kind of a dare uh, among his friends. I dare you to go on a retreat. Of course, none of them had. And it took him a while to get into it, but in fact, he did get into it. But some of you may have a more noble aspiration. There may be uh, an interest or a trajectory in your life of healing, of uh, empowering yourself, or of uh, aligning yourself with your greater purpose, however you conceive that to be. Or some of you may be here for liberation. The range of uh, aspirations is, is vast. And wherever you find yourself is okay. It's good enough. You're here. The work is the same. But now that we're here, now that you've made the decisions and you've gathered the support in your life to be here, the financial support to be here, and you've got people to take care of your situations at home or at work or with your pets or with your partners, somehow conditions have been arranged that you can be here. And now that you're here, how can you get the benefit of being here? What is it that you have to do to take full advantage of the opportunity? When I say aspiration, or when I ask, why are you here? And you get some glimpse uh, in your mind of what's moving you to be here. When I say aspiration, I don't mean that what is it you want to get out of this retreat? Uh, one of my friends and one of our co-teachers, Jack uh, Cornfield, says, you know, going on a retreat like this is like going to the dump. You don't go to get anything at the dump. You go to let go of stuff at the dump. So if you're hoping to get something from this retreat, I hope you fail because it's really the place to come and just let go. To let go of all that's causing tension and pain and confusion and bewilderment and uh, fear and anxiety in your life. To let it go. But aspiration is really the direction that you're going in your life. And the interesting thing about direction is we get a chance to realign ourselves with our aspiration. In any moment, we remember it. And so we're never far from our heart's desire 
when all we have to do is remember what direction do you want to go in life? But that remembering is not always so easy. The momentum of our habits in life, the momentum of our conditioning is so powerful and is so deep that we often don't feel that we have a choice. We don't see that we have a choice, and so we don't make the choice. But clearly, when we look backwards, when we look to the past, where we were a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, a decade ago, and we see where we've come, it's clear there's a direction in our life. We're headed in some direction. Now, maybe that direction wasn't clear to you as a choice, but it was made and reaffirmed innumerable times every day over that period of time. And just as we can see that in the past, we can imagine that going forward, that just as we've reaffirmed, we've made the decision and reaffirmed it innumerable times in the past, even during this week, we'll have endless opportunity to notice where we are, what's going on in the mind, what's going on in the body, what's going on in our fantasies and our imagination, and to realign ourselves in that moment with a choice of where we want to go. And this path of awakening is the path of choosing less suffering. Choosing just to stop struggling. Choosing to be more patient, to be more tolerant, to be more understanding, to be more loving, to be more accepting, to acknowledge this is the way it is. Can I be with it? Is it okay? Is it good enough? And just to ask ourselves that question is a big step. Can I acknowledge the way it is? Can I accept the way it is? And can I live with it? This is the practice. This is the practice we'll be doing. It's just checking in as often as we can with our mind, with our bodies, with each other, with the environment, just asking ourselves, what's going on? Can I accept this? And can I live with it? Is it okay? Is it good enough? And if so, not to struggle, to just let go, to just accept. I might mention that the staff here are shorthanded, and there's only a couple of staff when they usually have four or more. And so I would ask you to consider how you can limit your uh, demands or needs or requests of them, uh, because they may uh, be carrying more of a burden or more of a load than, than usual. So any amount of letting go that you can practice in relation to uh, needing them would be appreciated. You know, in, in our life, multitasking, well, it's become a necessity for, for most of us. And you can get a lot done multitasking. But 
in this practice, multitasking is a hindrance. It's an obstacle to really getting to the work of awareness. So anytime you find yourself hurrying, multitasking, creating a to-do list like, you know, I gotta fill my water bottle and do my yogi job today. Uh, I mean, sometimes so little can feel like so much on retreat. But if you find yourself doing that, just let go. Just let go of trying to do anything more than just be present with this, this, this is the way it is right now. And slowly, gradually, maybe I should say, over the course of our time here, day by day, or hour by hour, day by day, gradually the mind calms down. Gradually we begin to see more. And as we see more, um, with, with more continuity, we see more details of what's going on in our life. And that is the uncovering of uh, the mind. We just not only stabilize our attention, but we clarify our perception. And this is where uh, the work takes place. Really coming to understand things differently because we're seeing them differently because we're paying close enough attention to notice. Back in the middle of the last century, geologists had a pretty refined understanding of how the earth became the way it was. But there were some unanswered questions and there were some anomalies and there were some things that couldn't be explained. And beginning in the, the 60s, there was a whole theory emerged of plate tectonics, how the surface of the earth were these big plates, some big, some small, moving around. And you know, Boston is really connected to Africa. You know, if you could put it together, you'd see the rock formation and structures of Boston is fit someplace in Africa perfectly. Well, when the theory was proposed, of course, there was a lot of evidence to support it. And it answered a tremendous amount of questions about how the earth became the way it is. But underneath all of those answers were more refined and subtle questions. And it's the same thing with looking at our own mind, looking at our own life. We've got issues. We've got things going on. We've got stuff we're dealing with. And when we look and we pay close attention, things settle out, we come to some understanding, and that gets some degree of resolution. What a relief. Underneath that resolution and that surface of calm and acceptance and, oh, this is the way it is, bubbles up a whole new layer of questions and doubts and fears and stresses and concerns to continue our process. And so it's a multi, a multi-layered, a multi-unlayering process of just working our way into the mind, down through the layers of the mind by paying attention. And in that sense, there's really 
nothing to get. There's nowhere to get to. There's nothing to be discovered, you know, at the bottom of all this. There's just another layer of things to be discovered. And so anything, whatever it is you're experiencing, whatever it is you're looking at, whatever it is you're feeling, whatever it is you're knowing about yourself, that's it. It's good enough. And as you come to understand it and accept it and learn how to be with it, oh, this is the way it is, then another layer of the mind appears. And this is a journey of discovery, of just discovering who we are, what is going on here. There's no right, there's no wrong, there's no good, there's no better, there's no best. It's a process of being here with the way things are, moment to moment. If we could refine our aspiration to just the willingness to look, the willingness to discover, we'd be doing good. We'd be doing good enough. Now the format of the retreat, or the way that we do that here is, is as you probably have noticed, the schedule is uh, pretty simple. Sit, well, wake up. Sit, walk, sit, walk, sit, walk, sit, walk, sit, walk, sit, walk. Occasionally eat, go to the toilet, do your job, go to bed. That's it. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> part of the, part of the uh, format is to uh, give you nothing extra to do. Nothing. I mean, you got your, you got your yogi job, your, your contribution to help make the community function well, and you've got, uh, you know, uh, you've got to eat and, and sleep. But other than that, the sitting and walking is arbitrary. We, we've given you a schedule and it's just a rough outline of what you might do. We would like you to come to the sitting in the morning when we'll chant the refuges and precepts uh, each morning as a way of reaffirming our uh, aspiration and recommitting to the precepts or the community agreements of being here. That's a good thing to do in a community. And then the first sitting after breakfast is when we'll be offering uh, instructions, usually a new uh, new or developing instructions throughout the day, throughout the days, and giving you an opportunity to ask any questions uh, for clarification in the morning. And then you can practice for the day. You, we, you can practice, you can follow the schedule, you can set your own schedule. This is kind of a, um, just a suggestion. But if you want to sit a little longer, if you want to sit when we walk or walk when we sit, fine. Find your own rhythm. Some of you are going to want to walk more. Some of you are going to want to sit more. That's okay. Um, in the evening, we will offer uh, some uh, uh, a discourse on some aspect, some some aspect of understanding wisdom, uh, what what can be discovered uh, in this process. And beginning, not tomorrow, but on Sunday, there'll be a guided uh, loving-kindness meditation in the afternoons also. This, this kind of uh, format 
or this kind of schedule or this kind of um, retreat has been uh, tried and tested uh, for many years by uh, hundreds of teachers and, and hundreds of thousands of students. Uh, it is effective. It's effective in that it's a container for our lives for a period of time that really uh, encourages uh, calming down, looking, disengaging from uh, distraction, and just discovering more deeply what is, is, is already here. Uh, some of you have practiced in, in different traditions where there's a lot more uh, stuff to do or a lot more uh, interaction or where there's much less schedule. And all of these are, are techniques, good techniques. Uh, so there's not really a, a hierarchy of uh, one over the other. But um, what we're doing here, we, we understand, is supportive of the kind of discovery that's essential for the development of wisdom. Uh, part of it is silence. We call it noble silence. That doesn't mean absolute silence, but it does mean um, not talking uh, or using words, reading, writing, notes, talking, in a way that's just distracting or that's just uh, dissipating your energy. Uh, if you need to, or to the extent that you need to speak to the staff to clarify your yogi job, or you speak to one of us, or you speak to your roommate to clarify who's doing what when, that's fine. But other talk that's just kind of social chit-chat or um, aimless chatter, not, not so helpful. And for those of you who are here as, as, uh, with your partner or with a friend, um, while it might be nice to share your experiences or to share your, your, your difficulties or your challenges or what's exciting you or distressing you, in this, in this context, it'd be better to let each one of you live your own life. Do your own practice. There'll be plenty of opportunity at the end of the retreat to, to reconnect, to share, to, to catch up, to fill in uh, what went on. And so if you can be a silent support for those that you know, whether your partners or your friends or acquaintances, people that you've met on retreat before, that, that would be uh, supportive of your practice. And uh, along that line, if during the retreat at any time you see someone who appears to be having difficulty. Well, they may be crying, they may be distressed, they may be upset. Uh, let them be, let them be. They're working through something uh, on their own and for the most part, it's better for them to, to find their own way. Uh, but of course, if someone is obviously really in, in trouble, uh, then, you know, respond appropriately. Uh, occasionally, if people have physical conditions or something, they need some help, fine, of course. But as far as emotional distress, let, let people work it out for themselves. However, if someone is a little too restful in the meditation hall and they're starting to notify the rest of us with their deep uh, sleeping practice, 
<laughs> if we could all give each other permission to just gently uh, kind of uh, touch them on the back or the knee or some someplace in a way just to alert them to the, to the fact that uh, we're all practicing with them, <laughs> then that would, that would be good. In some ways, the, the container of the retreat is a really important part of the practice, just kind of keeping within the bounds of um, schedule and what's expected and the silence. Um, because everybody, we're sharing a space together, and our behaviors really affect one another. And to the extent that we can support each other in practice, uh, it'll be a more powerful retreat for all of us. Um, This practice is a training of mind. And the training of mind involves two, two elements. And the first element is stabilizing our attention. Stabilizing our attention from moment to moment so that we are attentive more continuously. And that's a significant challenge. Uh, as you know, it's a significant challenge to just pay attention for any length of time. And we'll be giving you some instruction and encouragement and techniques for doing that. And the second element is to clarify your perception, to really understand what it is that you're paying attention to. And that also is a very challenging uh, uh, element of practice. We do this because, well, the habits of the mind are deeply conditioned. The way we think, the way we perceive, or the way we misperceive, the way we misbelieve, the way we act, is so deeply conditioned that it mostly operates on automatic pilot. And so much of our life, we live on automatic pilot. And to the extent that we're not able to kind of disentangle ourselves, or even to see the habitual nature of our life, we're not free. We're just an automaton, reacting to conditions out of deeply habituated pathways in the mind. But the mind is plastic. The mind can be changed. The mind can be worked. And just like clay, modeling clay, or sculpting clay, when you first pick it up to work with it, it's brittle and breaks and it doesn't, fall, doesn't hold together. But if you work it gently, and you keep working it, and you keep massaging it, and you keep poking, poking and stretching and massaging and being nice to it and gentle and challenging it, Eventually, the clay becomes very flexible, pliable, can take any shape, can take any form, holds together, you can do fantastic things with it. The mind is just like that. Initially, very stiff, very brittle, breaks easily. Things don't go its way, it gets upset, you know. But if you work the mind, warm it up, treat it nicely, 
massage it a little bit in time, the mind can become very adaptable, very pliable, very flexible, very malleable, can adapt and accommodate any situation in life without breaking. But we have to work the mind. We have to work the mind through training in attention, continuity of attention, and clarity of perception. That's what working the mind is. Recent uh, research on, uh, by scientists have concluded that um, to become an expert at something, uh, you have to put in at least 10,000 hours. You know, you become a good checker player, 10,000 hours. A good chess player, 10,000 hours. An Olympic diver, 10,000 hours. You know how much 10,000 hours is? Three hours a day for nine years. Six hours a day for five, four and a half years. That's all. That's a big commitment. But I want to tell you, to become an expert meditator takes a lot more than 10,000 hours. Expert. But we all begin where we're at. Even one moment of mindfulness is more than before. And so let's not look to become an expert. Let's just look to do the best we can and be satisfied with that. The factor, the key factor in becoming a genius or accomplishing a genius level of achievement in anything, the key factor is a deliberate, strenuous, repetitive practice over a long period of time. Deliberate, strenuous, and repetitive practice over a long period of time. One, one, one person who was studying genius, uh, the, the, what people who call genius is. It also has to be boring. I think it's boring because it's just so repetitive. But this is a challenge for us. Because we do techniques, we practice over and over and over and over. Whether it's walking practice or paying attention to the breath or taking note of sensations in the body or thoughts in the mind, it becomes very familiar very quickly. And it's easy to get bored. But boredom is the death of practice. Death of practice. If, and boredom, the, you know, it's the interest in what is going on that overcomes boredom. And so I invite you to get really interested in the most ordinary, the most mundane, the most superficial experiences you have. Because that's where the truth is. That's where the discovery is ordinary experiences. We don't have to look for great spiritual experiences. Very ordinary experiences can be just as revealing, just as insightful, if we're paying attention. Deborah and I, over the last several years have been, um, have been working on uh, a translation of a book, uh, a Burmese book uh, called The Manual of Insight, written by Mahasi Saida, a, a monk in the last century in Burma. And he's kind of the granddaddy of this tradition, or this lineage of practice. 
And in it, he gives a, a short little description of how to prepare for practice. And it's really interesting. I want to read it uh, and then just comment on a few, a few pieces of it. Because I think it'll help us to uh, clarify what it is we're doing here and how to get the benefit out of what we're doing here. So, Preparations for Practice by Mahasi Sayadaw. If you aspire to realize the liberated mind and the benefit of liberation through accessing the unconditioned in this very life, you should cut any impediments during your time of meditation practice through the following preparations. Cut all your impediments. Purify your moral conduct, meaning live as uh, causing as least harm as possible. And here on the retreat, that means uh, we'll, we'll be living according to the five precepts, not to harm by killing, not to harm by stealing, not to harm by uh, acting out our sexual energy here, uh, not to act out our sexual energy, uh, not to harm by speaking uh, unkindly or speaking uh, the untruth, and to refrain from the use of intoxicants or stimulants that uh, have the effect of clouding the mind. Now, if you take any prescription medications, uh, even though they might cloud, think you think they cloud the mind, continue to take them. This is not the time and place to stop your medication. If you have any, continue to take it. It's not an impediment to practice. You can practice as, as well as you can with whatever uh, prescription medications you have. But when you purify your moral conduct, through the precepts, cultivate the wish that this moral conduct support your path and awakening to liberation. Because it is. Paying attention to your mind and cleaning up your mind, so to speak, is a great support, a necessary support, really, uh, on this path of, of liberation. Then he says, entrust your body to the Buddha in order to be free from fear, although frightening objects may appear during your intensive practice. What he means by that is, understand that even though your body hurts, you won't be hurting it. And trust your body. Just do the practice. You know? And even though your body hurts, you won't be damaging your body. It is through the discovery of the true nature of the body that the mind can be liberated. Also, entrust yourself to your teacher's care so that he or she, in this case us, may guide you without any hesitation. We've been through this. We've sat with what you're going to sit with. We've seen the mind in the way you see your mind. And we've seen the body in the way you see your body. Hopefully, we'll be able to remember what it was like and offer you some suggestions how to work with it. If you listen, if we listen carefully to what you say, and if you listen carefully to what we say, I think it'll be helpful. I think we can offer you something. It'll be helpful. Then he says, reflect on the merits of Nibbana. Well, I don't know what you think Nibbana is, but let's just say it's the end of suffering. Just reflect on the possibility 
of the end of suffering in your life. Nibbana, which is completely free from any mental or physical suffering. Reflect on what that would be like, the merit, the, the goodness of being free of all forms of physical, mental, emotional suffering. This is, this is the direction that the Buddha's path takes us. And it is possible to taste deep, liberation from suffering. Inspire yourself by remembering that the practice you're doing is following the same path that the Buddha took and that all fully enlightened beings have taken since that time. The practice that you'll be doing is the same practice that the Buddha did. The same practice that anyone who's become liberated, has done. That's a noble path. That is worth your effort. Because it has the potential of freeing the mind from suffering. The Buddha didn't do another path. Special path for Buddhas. Special path for Arahants. Same path. Same practice. What you experienced, they experienced. And they survived. They found a way of understanding it that led to liberation. And so can you. Then, he says, you should bow to the Buddha. What that means is, uh, you're not bowing to us, you're not bowing to the statue back here, but you're bowing to the possibility of awakening within yourself. You have that potential within you. The mind has that potential in there. It resides there. If we honor it, if we value it, if we're humble in the face of it, and we practice, then we can realize it. And let me just say, it isn't only people at the time of the Buddha that got enlightened. It is not. It is available to you. After this, he says, it's recommended to cult- cultivate loving kindness. You know, patience, acceptance uh, for yourself, for each other, and we'll be doing that in the afternoons. Beginning with the guardian angels or the guardian devas of this, of this place. Because we're here uh, sharing the space with uh, some unseen beings maybe. Uh, if, you under, if you understand that. If you don't, that's okay. You don't have to believe that. But we want to have their blessing. If there's any here, we want to have their blessing. So share your loving kindness with them. And if possible then, he says, if possible, you should contemplate your death. Because uh, we are, this body is of the nature to grow old, to get sick, and to die. And when we're going to die, nobody knows. Everybody dies. We're going to die. And when you reflect on that, it's not to just become morbid, or to become afraid, or to figure uh, out 
how fast you've got to run to get everything done that you want to do before you die. It's to wake yourself up. It's to, to really just to bring the fact of your own death close, really close. It helps you to let go of all the superficial distractions that just not so important. And to really get down to what really matters. Finally, sit comfortably. And then he says, observe the present moment. After all that, sit comfortably, observe the present moment. That sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? Sit comfortably, just pay attention. When we know our aspiration and reaffirm it as frequently as we can, moment to moment throughout the day, and we, we practice with sincerity of intention, the continuity will come. Gradually, the continuity of our stable attention will come, and we'll see things more clearly. And from this, our understanding will change. And from that changed understanding, we'll free the mind. As our teacher says, uh, Sayadaw Utejaniya says, when your understanding of the true nature of things grows, your values in life will change. When your understanding grows, your values will change. When your values change, then your priorities change as well. And through that understanding, you will naturally practice more. And this will help you to do well in life. When your understanding of the way things are grows, your values in life will change. When your values change, your priorities change. And through that understanding, you will naturally practice more. And this will help you to do well in life. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.